Welcome to this special Halloween edition of The Grady's, the great 80s movie debate where we see if the movies of the 1980s still hold up today. Whether you're a child of the 80s, a fan of classic films, or just a movie geek, you've come to the right place. Today we'll be discussing 1987's Monster Squad, directed by Fred Drecker and starring Andre Grauer, or is it Gower? Gower. Gower. Stephen Macht. Duncan Regger. This is this, nobody knows who any of these people are. And Tom Noonan. I know who Tom Noonan is. My name is Dave, and I am joined by an illustrious panel of '80s experts, including Christy. Science is cool. I dig it. <laughs> and Lou. Wolfman's got nards. <laughs> <laughs> well, here on the Gradies, we like to take a moment to find out each panel's history with the film we're analyzing, so we can see where everyone is coming from. So, Christy, what is your history with Monster Squad? I actually have no history with this movie. I got confused and thought this was the one with Fred Savage. What? <laughs> Little Monsters? Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I saw that. What the hell? I've never seen this movie. <laughs> so I was like, where's Fred Savage? So uh, so this was your first viewing. This is okay. my first viewing of this movie. Wow. that's I didn't think that people hadn't seen this movie. I apparently have been watching Little Monsters and watching the wrong one all these years. All this it was time. You yeah, thought you- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had the word monster in it. All right. Well, I think I'm actually kind of just the opposite. This was right up my alley when I was 15, and I watched it a lot on... We used to talk about this a lot on the Grady's and Lou's here, so I think it's worth bringing up again. I used to watch this on Prism a lot. Lou, did you have Prism, or are you too young for that? No, no, we had Prism growing up, yeah. Okay, so Prism is the Philadelphia version of HBO or Showtime. They showed movies, but they also showed all of our local sports. Well, not all, but they showed the Sixers, the Flyers, and the Phillies. So if you're in the Philadelphia area, you watched Prism if you had cable. I didn't have HBO. I had Prism, and this was on a lot. I was into horror. I was into classic monster movies. This was kind of my thing when I was at it. In fact, Lou would- Was it your John? It was my John. Are you saying that because we're talking about Philadelphia? Yes. Oh, Philadelphia. <laughs> so I remember when I was little, this would have still been before Lou's time, um, Channel 17, PHL, The Great Entertainer, every Thanksgiving would show a 24-hour classic monster movie marathon. Wait, and I for would, Thanksgiving? Yeah, at Thanksgiving. I don't know why what? at Thanksgiving. And I would record them all, and it was all the classic things. And I, I really got into that kind of stuff when I was that age. Um, so this was right up my alley as a 15-year-old. We have our guest, and in this case, it's Sweet Lou, choose the movie. Lou, why did you pick Monster Squad? Um. Well, it's worth noting that I'm a little bit younger than you guys. I was born in 1985, so when I was two years old when this movie came out. Um, but I also watched this a lot when I was a kid. Granted, I wasn't 15, but like, I just remember going to like the woman who would babysit my sister and I, and um, it was just one of those movies that was on rotation. And I did not really watch the classic monster movies growing up, at least not as far as like the you know Dracula, Wolfman, Frankenstein. My childhood monster movies were like the Godzillas and the King Kongs. And, you know, you brought up an old channel and uh, TNT is still around, but I don't think they still do Monster Vision. But that oh, was like I remember my that. favorite thing when I was a kid. And 
my dad goes to work. He works overnight. He goes to work at midnight. So when I was a kid, he would get up for work and pop in a VHS and tape Monster Vision for me so that I could watch it when I got home from school the next day. That was nice. And so I didn't get like a lot of like monster, like classic universal monsters, but I got a lot of like giant lizard monsters like Godzilla. So, uh, but as far as Monster Squad, yeah, I watched it a lot when I was a kid. Kind of the same as Dave. That is cool. Well, this is great. And this being Halloween and you're listening to this, maybe even on Halloween itself, um, we're going to talk a lot about classic monster movies and even continue into next week where we are going to list our best five uh, movies involving the classic universal monsters. Now, Christy, you would know way more about this than anybody that I know. Universal owns the rights to all of these classic monsters. Is that right? That is very correct. They own the classic rights to... Uh, Frankenstein's monster, Bride of Frankenstein, Wolfman, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Phantom of the Opera, and Dracula. 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 Yep they they own the rights to those classic characters. Okay, um, is that just something that they purchased along the way? Like these these weren't original Universal movies, were they? Or, or were I, they? I, I mean, do not know. I do not know. So it's just something that happened along the way in Universal's history. Yeah, it was a pretty smart dis- business decision. Yeah, because I would assume anytime anybody uses these, they have to either pay or get the rights or whatever the deal, the business deal is, right? Well, I think if they mention the word Dracula, they have to, or they call the character. But if they just say it's a vampire, they don't own all vampires, and they don't own all wolfmen. No. So it it's kind of... It, it, it it's hard because they own the names and the like, you know, that kind of likeness of the classic monsters, but the actual concept of a werewolf or the concept of uh, a vampire, they they don't own that. Okay, so it has to be this. I don't know if uh, oh this sorry David. no, it just has to be this specific one, right? I believe so. Yeah, as part okay. of the licensing, makes sense. As far as the Universal owning the license, I did. I don't know if anyone's going to bring this up, but I did read that Universal is actually going to bring back all of their classic monster movies as like the classic monsters. Yes, they are. Um, and they're, I mean, essentially they're just rebooting another intellectual property. Granted, they own it, but you know, they are uh, apparently are calling it the Dark Universe, mm-hmm. and it started with the Mummy that just came out a couple months ago with Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. And I guess they're just going to do all of them all over again. Yeah. I'm assuming is what they're doing. The the thought that I've read about in in just different magazines and things is that they're looking at it as their own Marvel or their own DC where they they own these rights to them and they can make almost like a monster squad. Um, Because a lot of movies in the 20s and things would have cross you know they dracula meets the mummy and frankenstein's monster meets the you know the wolfman i mean they all kind of out of that 50s era now i might be inventing movies that don't even exist but they did do a lot of crossbreeding so they think that is a thought of universal as a big studio is to move forward and make their own avengers or their own uh justice league but out of the characters that they own. And I think I think they said that there's one through line that Jekyll and Hyde are the through line that are going to be part of the dark universe. Because Jekyll and Hyde, 
was uh, Russell Crowe in this last Mummy reboot. And he is supposedly the through line that is going to join the next one. I think they have the Invisible Man coming out. And then they'll go to Dracula and different things. So they have, like, I, I think they've plotted out, like, all the different incarnations that they're going to do, but with a Jekyll and Hyde as the through line. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, Russell Crowe is the Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, he's the, he's the Nick Fury. He's the Nick Fury of this franchise. All right. Well, let's get into this because I think this is this is a definitely a, a I don't know this movie's hard to classify like is it a family movie is it a comedy is it a horror movie it might be all those things it starts out with a joke you get this scroll about <laughs> the history and Van Helsing and how Van Helsing was trying to do this stuff but he blew it yeah. um, is this maybe the first time that you're already kind of getting into this and smiling a little bit that you know there's a sense of humor right off the bat. Oh, yeah. That, especially, it seems like so many movies in the 80s seem to have bought stock in this font. Right. This, the font. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we're in the 80s, because that's the 80s font. <laughs> and, and during these credits, you're seeing a lot of very talented people like um, Edlund and Stan Winston and Shane Black wrote this movie. There's a lot of really talented people in this. Um, you can definitely tell it's made out of a great deal of respect and love for these characters. That's a good way to put it, yeah. And the the flashback with Van Helsing with this old guy, it's it's already way better than Hugh Jackman and his Van Helsing. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I never I skipped that movie. Oh boy. <laughs> it was it, That was like 2003 or 2006 something like that, I right? I don't even know. It, it doesn't even matter. It wasn't it wasn't it, it's up there with the Wolfman. <laughs> that was an awful movie too. And no, it was worse. It was actually worse. Well, you're put into what they're calling present day. And I got to ask you your thoughts on this. Where do you stand on this? The present day thing at the beginning of a movie or are you better off having the year because what we're watching is certainly not present day like this well, is when it came out i know but now it's 2017 and it's not and when i read present day from something that came out 30 years ago it's annoying or am i the only one i think it just is uh i think it's just a i wouldn't say a victim but like I think it's just a result of the era where like in 87, most people didn't have like home entertainment systems. I would wager like I know people were buying VCRs and stuff, but it wasn't like um, it wasn't the mass at home consumption that we see today. So like people didn't really plan for it. It was always like seeing it in a theater. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe it's just part of that. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't really bother me, though, seeing present day. I mean, it's kind of like the suspension of belief. You know you're watching a 1980... What is it? Seven? Seven. Seven. It's a 1987 movie. I just... I think I prefer them just to say 1987. Because is it... Are they that presumptuous that, like, this movie is going to, like, go down in the annals of film history? Like, just say it's 1987. I don't know. Like, that bothers me for some reason. I know it's a stupid pet peeve kind of thing, but I was just wondering what you guys felt. Um, they have this monster club and they draw pictures and put them on their clubhouse walls and they're really into this. Did either of you do this as a kid? 
I yeah, I, I didn't have a monster club, but I did draw monsters. Yeah, so that, definitely I did too. Did you do this, Christy? I drew strawberry shortcake and cats. <laughs> cats. So, yeah. so also monsters. Yeah, Got it. yeah. <laughs> it's a different kind of monster. <laughs> Maybe it's a boy thing to do. I remember doing this in school, and I would collect them. I keep them in a folder. I'd make up my own monsters. I think this is cool because this is what I think this is what little boys do. And guns. <laughs> really? The guys in my school used to draw like little little guns and swords and Okay. And yeah. Dragons. I, I held up I hung out with the Dungeons and Dragons group. I'm not surprised. Nah. And Sean and Patrick are, I guess, your two main characters here. The 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 kids that you see first, at least, they are constantly paying homage to monsters and anything horror. Because even Sean has a homemade Stephen King rules T shirt. So you get the sense, like Christy said, there that that people are paying respect to things already, um, except for. Um, homosexuals and fat people. Oh my God. I have that in my notes. Yeah. This wow. movie, this is about when you learn that this movie actually is really kind of nasty. It is very nasty. It, uh, I remember that there being a lot of teasing, and a lot of name calling, but I definitely was surprised by just how, like how much of it there was. Yeah. Like the, 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 instantly say something about warning people about the homos and they say that the one kid is homoing out. Um, I, I, whoa, I see some major sensitivity training coming out here. <laughs> it's just weird. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to get away with this in a movie today. I don't think, no. I mean, this is definitely a 30 year old movie and you met later the kid. I don't even remember his real name because they called their friend fat kid. Yeah. They never called him by his name. What's his, his name? name was Horace. Horace? Okay. Horace. <laughs> so, I guess, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Fat Kid is Chunk. Sean is Mikey. Um, Mary Ellen Trainer is even in this, who is a mom in both this and Goonies. This is, this is the Goonies, right? Yeah, it definitely, yeah. I mean, it definitely takes a lot of notes from the Goonies, I think. Okay. I'm saying it's a straight up ripoff. No, like, I don't think so. It's Goonies with monsters. That's what it is to me. Because that as soon as you see Fat Kid, he's just Chunk. They treat him like Chunk. He doesn't do the truffle shuffle. He might as well. No. But I was glad to see Jason Hervey branching out into this as a bully. Yeah. Because that's what he always does in you know, Pee Wee's Big Adventure and the Wonder Years. That's what Jason Hervey does. He plays a bully. And and I think they call doesn't he one call the one kid he calls him a faggot. Yeah. Twice. Probably. Yeah. Twice. He calls it like that <laughs> this is like this is definitely uh you can see the age on this movie. So and Rudy then shows up. How do you guys feel about Rudy? Because I think Rudy's the best character. Oh, definitely. Oh, and yeah. I definitely remember him when I was a kid. Like, he was, like, the quintessential, like, cool kid in the movie. Yeah. He was one of my favorite characters, uh, performers on Kids Incorporated. <laughs> was he on that? Yes, he was. He That's was on the cool. second season. <laughs> well, he with does. Fergie. Uh, with Fergie. Nice. And Martika. <laughs> what you gonna do with all that junk? All that junk inside that trunk? 
Yeah. Well, he knows, and, and I do have it down here that he's Horace, because doesn't Rudy call Fat Kid Horace? Yes, he does. See, Rudy's cool. Yeah. He protects Horace, Fat Kid. Yeah, he makes the bully uh, eat the candy <laughs> bar that he had Horace step on, or that the bully stepped on, rather. So that's pretty cool. He He's like a good, like, bad kid. Yeah, he's almost like like why why do you think he would want to hang? Because he even takes the monster test to gain entry to the club. Like he kind of wants to hang out with these dorks. It almost kind of reminds me of Fonzie. Like why would Fonzie be friends with Richie and Potsy and Ralph? They're dorks. <laughs> so like, why do you think Rudy does this? Is he like he's like a secret like geek kind of thing? I mean, I guess. I thought that he was really trying to get entry so he could yeah, watch be a peeping si- Tom. Yeah, so he could <laughs> see the sister. Well, that's true, too. <laughs> no, but you're probably right. He does, He does like, have some... Even though he, like, comes across as, like, this badass rule-breaker kind of kid, um, he definitely has, like... I guess you could say he has, like, a good heart and, like, all around just, like, a nice dude. So when he sees a bunch of kids that are just, like... Being nice kids, he just wants to join along. I guess I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's it's a little. I was not Rudy when I was in school, so I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who were you when you were in school? Uh, I don't know any of the kids. I guess you or the dog. Dog was, was the best do- character. Yeah, the dog was adorable. <laughs> I have in big letters. I wrote it all in caps. I love that dog. <laughs> well, at the same time, all this is going on. Dracula and Frankenstein get dropped out of a cargo plane. Um, any reason why this is happening or does it just uh, oh just doesn't matter at all like it's well, just happening you know, I, I was writing my notes as it's going on and i was like why is there an armadillo <laughs> why is there an armadillo and apparently it was an homage to the original dracula really oh really there was a there was an armadillo in the original dracula movie i didn't know that yeah and so I was like, at first I wrote, why is there an armadillo? And then I was reading through um, a little bit of an interview on the 30th anniversary of the movie. And they went back and talked to the the director and a couple of the stars. And he they were like, so we have a couple of homages to the classic movies. And one is that we have an armadillo with scene, in the scene with, with uh, Dracula because that was in the original 1931 film. And I was like, oh, well, then I guess I better put that in my notes. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool because that goes along with what you were saying too. Like, and and the idea that they're paying respects. Yeah. They did. Shane Black did some research. If he's the one that did include that, like I like Shane Black a lot. And yeah, he's done a lot of really good things. Yeah, like like I didn't know he wrote this until his name popped up, and I instantly got a little excited because I think he's I think he's a talented guy. Um, Dracula also gets a tricked out hearse and knows how to drive. Don't know how. That, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, you know what I noticed, though? And it's a, it's apparently a genre <clears throat> or a trope or whatever. MacGuffin. I don't know. Yeah. Um, why in the 80s did they always have a zany pilot with a Hawaiian shirt? <laughs> <laughs> always. Like, always. There was, like, every crazy-ass pilot, Hawaiian shirt. Zany. Well, you're from Hawaii. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, that is true. <laughs> you're from Hawaii. Can you lend any uh, I insight on speak, this? I cannot speak to the use of their shirts and pilots. I don't yeah. know. There's a lot of crazy, like 
weirdo dudes walking around Hawaii just waiting to fly somewhere? Not really, no. All right. Not really. You're right, though. That is a that is a trope, definitely. And all the while this is going on, a mummy leaves the museum, um, and Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite is the Wolfman, or Laszlo from Real Genius. Laszlo? Oh, that's Laszlo. That's right. That's Laszlo from Real. That's what I was looking at. I'm going, oh my god, it's the guy from Real Genius. And then I looked it up, and I was like, oh, and it's Uncle Rico. Yeah, John. I didn't even make that connection. I love Real Genius. It's like one of my favorite movies. Yeah. John Grease is the guy's name. And he's also the uh, guy, Rusty, who Kramer pays to pull the rickshaw for him and Newman in the streets of New York. Like, I like this guy. He pops up. He's hilarious in he's the point. Everywhere. He's really good. Well, Sean is watching his movies and allowed. And 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 he's watching it from the roof. And there's this stuff with his dad. Do you like the stuff with Sean and his dad? I think it's adorable. In fact, also that Stephen mocked. Yeah, is the father of Gabriel mocked. He's oh. on suits. Okay, that's his dad. I didn't know that. Yeah, I was like mocked. That sounds really familiar. And then I looked it up, and I was like, oh hell, that's his dad. The dad stuff is good. It kind of almost reminded me of, we just did Cloak and Dagger, of Dabney Coleman, the dad, and uh, Henry Thomas's. Like, they had this bond, kind of. I don't know. Like, it was this cool kind of like father and son relationship. This one, I think, was a little better than the one in Cloak and Dagger, but it was good. I think it's also because the mom is alive. That's true. And all the while, also, the monsters are uniting, including Gilman. Um, why do you think they called him Gilman rather than Creature from the Black, Black Lagoon? Is there any reason for that? That Maybe maybe they couldn't get the rights for that. Maybe. Um, what do you think about the makeup, in general, of the monsters? Uh, your thoughts at all on that? I thought they were looking pretty good. Um, I thought the, the Gilman looked really good. Um, I like the interpretation of Frankenstein. Of Frankenstein's yeah, monster. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I did like the mummy too. I, th- I thought they were all pretty good. Yeah. I was not a big fan. It, and unfortunately, it's probably the one they worked the most on. Was I was not a big fan of the Wolfman face. Yeah. It was kind of. The s- eyes were like too far apart. I There was something that really bothered me about that. And I liked the Gilman until that last approach when he's he's like marching down on Horace. And there's something weird about eyes that don't blink. And just, yeah, uh, that part I can I I kind of forgot about that, but yeah, you're right. Like it's uh it's probably not the easiest thing in the world to to do like makeup wise. Like it, it requires mechanics and all that. Yeah. But I don't know. It just it does make you feel like it's real when it starts to blink. Well, I was reading a little bit about it. And I can't remember who it was. It was either the gentleman who played the Gilman or the guy that played the Mummy was also working for Stan Winston as a fabricator, makeup fabricator. Yeah. So after he did all these, um, I think he worked on Tom Noonan's life mask for the Frankenstein character. And after he would do that, then he would have to go on set and be the character, be a character. And it was kind of- a long day. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I agree with you about all of them, but the Wolfman, I, I guess if you had to rank them, the Wolfman was the worst, but like Lou said, I think the makeup is 
is really pretty good. And the Frankenstein is good because it wasn't the traditional Frankenstein, mm -hmm. but it took parts of it. And that is, like you said, Tom Noonan. And I love Tom Noonan from Manhunter. And I've mentioned that on many podcasts before. That If you haven't seen, that's a good one for the Grady's. If you haven't seen Manhunter, he is downright nightmarish in Manhunter. Um, which is what was turned is the original prequel to Silence of the Lambs. Oh uh, yeah. Um, which they which the, the book was called Red Dragon and they remade Red Dragon with Ed Norton and, and Ray Fiennes. But he played the Ray Fiennes character in Manhunter with uh, Will Peterson. Really, really great eighties movie. Uh, Michael Mann directed awesome movie. Um Sean starts the monster squad because of what he overhears from his dad. And the fact that this Mr. Alucard wants to get the, uh, a hold of his Van Helsing diary that his mom found at a yard sale. <laughs> How did it get to a yard sale? I don't know. <laughs> and why do you think Alucard was a good idea? Yeah, just call yourself anything else. Don't just write your name backwards. Smith. Smith. Jones. Anything. <laughs> and he gets this old man. I, Go ahead, Lou. No, I was just going to say, I, I couldn't tell, like, like I know Shane Black has written a lot of good things, and I, and I think he's a good writer, and I I wonder how much of it was just like, what's a ridiculous way to do this? Like, like almost uh, like Zucker Brothers kind of like tongue-in-cheek, like, oh, I can make this kind of really silly because it's kind of a kid's movie, but kind of not. So, like, you know... He could just make up a fake name or give no name, but like it might, you know, we have to give the kid some way to like figure out that it's Dracula calling for this diary. So I don't know if it was just like all purposeful or just bad decisions, but that kind of stuff did make me like laugh and not really in a good way. <laughs> You're right. And it probably depends on whom they thought they were marketing this to. Like, like I kind of said, like, is it a comedy? Is it a horror movie? Is it a family movie? Who do you think they thought their audience was? 13 to 15-year-old boys? I definitely yeah. think, yeah. Yeah, I think it's basically like their, their intended audience were the kids that made little clubs and built tree houses and talked about monsters. Okay. The Goonies. Yeah. Yes, the Goonies. They were aimed at the Goonies themselves. The kids in Stranger Things. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's another good point. I mean, that's that's like this has become another trope. Christy's talking about tropes. This is a trope now. The the band of kids that does this kind of stuff. Uh the animated movie Monster House came out I don't know, it's probably fifteen years ago now. Same thing. Um it's not a bad trope. I like it a lot. Stand by me. There you go. Because in this it turns out that Frankenstein will be playing the part of sloth. Yep. Because that's really what he is. He's a monster that the kids befriend, and they kind of cart him around like a pet. And they put him in silly outfits, and he has an E.T. dress-up moment. Exactly. <laughs> They're trying their best to be Spielberg without Spielberg. And I don't know if it's working or not. Well, yeah, it definitely totes that line of like paying homage and just stealing from. So yeah. well, it's like I, I was looking at... Uh, some of the other things they were trying to do is that they they were trying to right some wrongs during the movie like like when it, Frankenstein's monster walks up on Phoebe and mm -hmm. and yeah. what happens in the movie mm -hmm. the original Frankenstein movie is you know he tries to see if she can float yeah 
it what it does when I was reading about it, it was saying that it was trying to redeem Frankenstein's monster in what he what would happen if he hadn't done that. If really? he had actually, yeah, if he had actually gone the other way and befriended the girl and hadn't tried to just see, even though it wasn't malicious at all, that it was just, what would happen if the girl never got thrown into the lake? That's right. why they are at the lake. Wow. I, I thought that uh, was really interesting. It is. It's it's a strange and, and kind of risky choice to make because when I'm thinking about this and I see Frankenstein next to a little girl in a lake, I'm thinking sinister things. Yeah. Well, so, this was to offer him redemption, they were saying. That's pretty interesting, actually. <laughs> the other thing, there are a lot of strange choices in this movie. I've already talked about like the... Uh, homophobia and some of this other stuff the the choice to have this they this they take the diary to this old man that has to translate it what was the point of making this man a holocaust survivor because i thought that was a strange choice too and he does this little line about how he's dealt with monsters in the past yeah i think i was uh, again, reading about the 30th anniversary and the guy who's reading the article was like, look, I love this as a kid and then I watched it again and I realized that whole Holocaust line and the, the, the numbers and everything and he was like, you don't think about that when you're a kid. You don't think about the meaning of that. Yeah. But when you watch it as an adult, you're like, wow. It really, yeah. I but think it was just to give him another level of reason of buy-in to the whole thing about getting the monsters. Yeah. I think it was just all tying in that idea of like, Oh, I believe you that monsters are real because I've seen monsters and you know, the kids mean it like with these like literary characters and he means that he, and and the old German guy is that humans can be monsters, but either way he's like every other adult is just like monsters aren't real. And he's the only one who's on their side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was just that that is as surface level as that. Like, how can we say he knows monsters are real? Nazis. So I mean it was quick and, and it's I think it's relatively effective. Also, the fact that it's like written in German gives it one other layer of like difficulty. Of, uh, yeah. Do you but um do you think it's in bad taste at all though? No. I don't. No. Okay. No, I don't think so. All right. I just it's it's there's a lot of weird choices going on here. I, I, and maybe it's because it's a 2017 viewpoint of it. I just don't see this happening today at all. Well, I think, I think also back then it was, you know, they were celebrating what the, the 40th anniversary. I mean, there, I, I, for some reason, I remember a lot of, a lot of things about the Holocaust when I was in high school and elementary school, mm-hmm. mainly elementary school. Like we studied it a lot and, there were a lot of TV shows about it and everything. And I think I think that I don't know why it was very fresh in the eighties. But I seem to remember there was like a lot. Okay. I yeah, I'm it's just it's just weird. Like there's like I we said I saw this a lot when I was a kid and I haven't seen it I hadn't seen it in twenty years. Mm-hmm. And I had forgotten all this stuff. I didn't think about that when I was fifteen. It's just, I, I find it strange as an adult, some of the things that they thought they were making a point out of in this. And everybody in this movie drinks Pepsi in every scene. Yeah. 
Do they? I didn't notice. Every scene. <laughs> and you also get a music break courtesy of Michael uh, Sambello as they're preparing. Montage. Yeah, Rock Until You Drop. Was this a song that you remember at all, Christy? I don't remember this song. I don't either. I it mean, was Michael- not on the same you know thing as a uh, same level as maniac no he had done maniac and then i knew there was a song because i i was addicted to gremlins he has a song in gremlins uh called mega madness it's the one that the gremlins dance to the one gremlin <laughs> is in leotard and her, her leg warmers that's yeah. him that's him mm-hmm. too he he kind of sucks but the, <laughs> I, I guess this was his comeback that never happened i don't know poor sam bello <laughs> but they're getting ready for the big fight. They're making copies on the largest photocopier ever. They make bullets in shop class. Yeah, they do. How the hell do you make bullets in shop class? Apparently anything could happen in the 80s. And we didn't know it. We could Dogs take- can get into tree houses and yeah. bullets can be made in shop class. We could have taken advantage of this, Christy. Lou was two. <sighs> <laughs> I wish I had had this movie as more of a uh, instruction manual because I know ready. this is a guide and we blew oh. it. And Frank Frank accidentally takes a nude pic of the kid's sister, and they're all trying to get it. All the kids are jumping up and down to try and get the picture, including the five year old sister. She's <laughs> just playing because it's playing. What did the five year old sister wants to see this new she girl? She doesn't know what it is. All right. This movie's creeping me out, man. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Lou. What? You, you, <laughs> you chose this movie. You get the credit for it, Lou. Hey, it was, uh, it was a good 80s movie for Halloween. So um, one thing we can say that we kind of skipped over, and that's totally fine because it's ridiculous, but the whole idea, the whole plot of this movie is centered around this amulet. <laughs> yeah. And... We skipped it because, like I said, it's ridiculous, but briefly put, there's this amulet that can suck all evil out of the world and get rid of it forever, and you can only use it once every 100 years, and Dracula, that's the whole reason he's in this town, is to find this amulet. For whatever reason, it's in this little town. And the kids get the diary to get the German guy to read it, to figure out how to use it, and (laughs) I don't even know where to go from there, but like... (laughs) I kind of got lost on the whole amulet thing. I was like, "What? Huh?" What yeah, the the amulet, the amulet is weird, and that vortex at all. What was the vortex? That is that what the supposed vortex to be limbo. was? Really? It's it was supposed to be limbo. sucking into limbo. Yes. Okay. I didn't know what the vortex was. I thought it was just a you know huge giant giant like toilet flushing or something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> Huge yeah, so there's this amulet, and good can use it to get rid of evil, or evil can smash the amulet and keep evil on Earth forever. And that was kind of the whole idea, that Dracula wanted to destroy this amulet so that he could just reign forever. Uh, good good thing we have the Monster Squad to uh, prevent that from happening. Well, so yeah. apparently in 29, or no, 2009, what, what's 100 years from 1987? <laughs> 2087. Okay, so 2087, Monster Squad 2 is going to have to come out. But did they get rid of the amulet? I don't even remember. No. Somebody has it. That was a dingleberry that's left off on this movie that is left dangling. I like the the use of dingleberry in this case. (laughs) Just kind of hangs out there. 
don't yeah. know what it, where did, what happened to the amulet. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So yeah, the kids, the, the, this amulet is being kept in this house at the end of like, you know, the end of the scary block in this town. Where did this house come from? I don't know, but Dracula lives there too. And he's like slowly breaking down the wall to get to this amulet over like the course of this weekend or whatever. I don't know. I can't explain I, it. All yeah, I know is what was, I saw. Was... He's flipping the house. He's renovating. He's flipping. Yeah. Uh-huh. But they, they end up in the showdown in like the town square, right? So like all the monsters are congregating on this town square. And, you know, they, they fight off Dracula with a piece of garlicky pizza. Um, you know, we kick Wolfman in the nards. Uh, the mummy gets <laughs> unwrapped yeah. via arrow. <laughs> And Gilman and, uh, just gets I mean, shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what I love I is that that haunted hearse goes through an entire cop car, passes through it, but smashes the hell out of a fence. Yeah. How does that happen? <laughs> is he selective for his pass through ability? We are to call Shane Black. I I have some questions, Shane Black. You and Richard Franklin going to have a little talk. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to say that anything good in this movie, Shane Black wrote, and anything not so good, the studio tweaked. Okay, I'll go I'm, with that. I'm giving him full credit. Okay. You can't have written Lethal Weapon and then get criticized by me. That's the way it's going to go. Okay. <laughs> okay. I accept that fact. But in the movie, it is the big night, and it is the kids and Frank versus the monster, and Frank gets knocked out, and they have to fight the Wolfman, and I guess, I remember this from being little, Lou's tagline in this, is this the uh, famous quote from the the movie, kick him in the nards? I think so. Yeah. It was on all the commercials. Got nards. Right. Do people still use nards as a... I don't think so. I, I think that stopped when I was in elementary school. Yeah. I think, I mean, I definitely used nards kind of like occasionally when I was like, you know, in like third grade. Yeah. I think that's what but we did. I don't think that's still, I think, I don't think that gets said anymore. Hmm. No, I think they call them by their scientific name. And what's yeah. that? Balls. <laughs> Is that what they teach in middle school now? Yeah. Okay. All right, now we're going to have a scientific ball removal. I guess nards is a deviation of of nads, nads. as in gonads. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right, I somebody, just like to know. somebody who said it had a lisp or. Oh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, bad handwriting when they wrote it down. I don't know. When they graffitied the me- the boys room. No, it says nards. No, dude, it says nads. <laughs> oh, I like nards. <laughs> but the action is kicking up because uh, the mummy's unraveling. Dracula gets attacked with a garlic pizza, which I thought was funny. <laughs> <laughs> and Horace is shooting people and says at that point, my name is Horace. He's tired of being called fat kid. Fat kid. Um, but like Lou said, Dracula's trying to get this amulet. And is it, he calls the little girl bitch, doesn't he? That bothered mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Give me the amulet, you bitches. She's like five. Yeah. And they, I was reading about how they filmed that. They, mm-hmm. the the teeth and the contacts really scared the little girl. 
So he didn't wear it around her until that scene. So when she's screaming, she is really terrified. I'll bet. She hasn't seen him with the with the uh, contacts in. Well, from what I read, this guy, Duncan Regair, however, Regair, I don't know how you say his name. He's uh, held up there with, with the greats as, as being one of the best portrayals of Dracula. I, yeah, I saw that. I would agree. I he's he's definitely playing the camp minimally, mm-hmm. and that makes it even funnier, right? But but when he's being scary, he is seriously scary. Like I was kind of surprised when he's in front of the house with the two cops, even though he does <laughs> such such a like bad thing about like throwing the dynamite in the cop car. But I'm really surprised he doesn't try to get the the mother. He does nothing to the mother. Right. You're freaking Dracula. You can enchant any woman to do what you want, to do your will. At least according to the Vampire Diaries. And <laughs> But you're not doing it. <laughs> according. Is that where you get your information? Vampire Diaries. And Twilight. You watch Twilight? Oh, yeah. I read huh. the books. Okay. I read the damn books. I like Vampire Diaries. I don't I don't mind Vampire Diaries. It got a little weird. And I tried to watch the the originals. That got really weird. Okay. I was like, there's only so much I'm gonna believe. I'll believe that vampires sparkle, but I'm not gonna believe that they are like cosmic being. No, no. That's where you draw the line. Sparkly, yes. Cosmic being, no. Gotcha. Well, Frank and then Sean kill Dracula and send him off into the arms of Van Helsing in the vortex. Are you uh, satisfied with this ending as uh, Dracula's demise? Like, uh, I don't know, this is a legendary character and he's killed by a little kid and an old man. I don't think he's dead. You don't? I don't think he's dead. Well, he can't be because in the beginning of the movie... Van Helsing was sucked into the vortex, and at the end of the movie, Van Helsing comes out of the vortex to take Dracula back with him. So I don't think there's yeah. a way that there's a way out. You can float out of the vortex. He got stabbed by a damn fence panel, and he still was alive. Then again, a lot of fence panels did go into that vortex. I do note that that I think it was the same fence panel, but like white picket fence panels just kept flying off. I was like, what, five, six, seven? Gee, how? And then you turn back and the fence is still there. <laughs> really? And I love, there's an attention to detail here that I do appreciate. That when the vortex is sucking everybody up, dead bodies of the policemen are being sucked in as well. Really? They did not ignore the dead bodies. That is the dead cool. bodies of even of the of the very slow moving Dracula brides that move slower than molasses in January, <laughs> they fly when they're dead into the vortex. I didn't notice that. It's the fastest they move. <laughs> when they're getting sucked in. Fastest. Yep. <laughs> well, Frank get, I will say that oh please, no, go ahead. You were gonna say what I was gonna say. That Frank gets sucked in too. That Frank gets sucked in too. No good fight is without some sacrifice. Well, they can't really leave any of them there. It's like one of these things where like everything has to be erased from existence because then people will know that the supernatural stuff was happening. No. Sure. So it's very convenient. uh, I, 
I have to ask if either of you cried a little tear when Phoebe threw Scraps the stuffed dog after Frankenstein. Got a little choked. Maybe not tear, but choke. Yeah. Did you, Lou? So, uh, I, I may have been slightly missed the eye, but that may have been fueled by the fact that I was watching this with my girlfriend, Jamie, and she was, I won't say bawling. Wow. But she had to cover her face with a pillow because she was very emotional about Scraps the Dog and Frankenstein. She was invested in it. Really? She was. She wasn't watching most of the movie. She was on her phone. She didn't really care that much. <laughs> um, and but <laughs> scraps the dog. There were there were some tears. I felt really bad. I'm I teared up a little bit. You know, sad. Wow. It, it is a very touching moment because because you, you do have the monster's redemption, and you're like, oh hey, look, he saved he saved the girl. He's gonna be on the oh, he sucked in the vortex. Huh. Uh, and I didn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was done at this point. I was I was done. You were and checked so out. You were ready to go. Yeah, you know. I don't know. I mean, we'll get to our review soon, but uh, yeah, I, I I wasn't I wasn't feeling it. Well, I'm glad that people do. I mean, I know I'm kind of heartless, but yes, <laughs> that's good. And that's the, and you get to your last good line that after he gets sucked in, where he says. We're the Monster Squad, and you get the song Monster Squad, which tells you the whole story. You don't have to watch a movie. It's like the song. You can just in, listen to the song. Yeah, in Last Dragon. It tells you exactly everything that you need to know Pretty in much, the song. Yeah. You don't need to watch this movie. Just listen to the song. I was a little thrown off by the entire army coming up in response to Eugene's letter. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> hey, which one of you is Eugene? Well, where are the monsters? Really? Really? Yeah, that seemed very. That seemed like they had a budget and they had to hire a bunch of extras to <laughs> fill out the budget so they wouldn't lose it on their next film. And so they got a bunch of army guys. Yep. It was, that was very strange. Yep. <laughs> Just weird. In a movie full of strange things, that was very strange. I have to say, did you guys notice when, when they blow up Mr. Wolfman, why does he turn into confetti? <laughs> did he? He turns into confetti. Like now, given when he's like putting himself together, he's like body parts all over the place. But when he actually blows up, it looks like a freaking ticker tape parade. <laughs> like he was a pinata full of of delicious treats. Well, that's disappointing. Knowing the people that worked on this movie. Yeah, it was like, wait, they had already shot the army man scene, so they spent their budget. <laughs> yeah. Any, anybody got any confetti? Let's go to Party City. A Party Lisa, City. Lisa, you had a birthday. <laughs> Just stick some confetti in there. <laughs> Do you think that kids or tweens of today would watch this or like it? No. Just because it's so dated, you think? I I think so, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think kids. I, I think if you showed this to a 10-year-old, they wouldn't even get they wouldn't watch any of this movie. They wouldn't care about the monsters. They wouldn't care about the makeup. They would look at everything in the scene and be like, oh, well, that's dumb. And they, they wouldn't care. Yeah, I don't think it would hold the it would hold the attention span. Yeah, I agree. I did not have my son watch. My son is 15. I didn't have him watch this with me. He wouldn't he would not stand for this. There's no way. No, because now kids are kids already know about when they're going through that whole thing about how many ways can you kill Dracula? Everybody knows. Right. Stay the heart and sunlight. 
Well, then let's get to our reviews. The way we do this on the Grady's is we have two reviews, our initial review, whenever that is, versus our 2017 review out of five stars. I'll go first. Um, in 1988-ish, I'll say I saw this on Prism. I did not see it in theaters. This was right up my alley as a 15-year-old, and I would have given it a four out of five, and I know I watched this a lot. Uh, today, to me, this doesn't hold up at all. It, it doesn't have the charm of something like The Goonies. It lacks a Spielbergian touch. Uh, I found myself having a lot of trouble getting through it, and I'm dropping it down to a two out of five. What about you, Christy? I, like I said, I thought it was Little Monsters, and I would have given Little Monsters a four. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, since I did not actually see this movie in the 80s, I don't have anything to compare it to, but I really didn't, I kind of liked it. I, I didn't, I didn't have a, a jaded, heartless view of it. I think, probably would give it about a three. That's not too shabby. No. Based on today's standards. Yeah. All right. What about you, Lou? Your original versus your now. Well, like I said, I, I really loved this movie when I was a kid. And, you know, I didn't see it in theaters. Obviously, I was two. But um, I used to watch it a lot as a kid. I probably would have given it like a four and a half back in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And I... Really enjoyed watching it this time, too. It has plenty of problems. Um, I laughed at it genuinely, and I laughed at it because it was bad. So I'd probably drop it to about a three now, but I did really enjoy it. All right, so two threes and a two. Um, I guess I'm going to go ahead and say that this holds up then. Uh, I'm Moderately. I, I think moderately. this is one of those things that you could put on your Halloween playlist of things to watch. To kind of give you a palate cleanser between Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween. To give you a little yeah. like relaxing uh, aperitif or a sorbet, if you will, <laughs> in the midst of your horror. That's still yeah. kind of horrific. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a good palate cleanser. I like that. That's a, that's a good way to put it. So like you, because you, 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 you end up watching a horror movie marathon of like, slasher movies are really intense things it, it weighs on you i mean you start getting edgy this yeah, is, you need to get a break this cuts the edge you want to stick this somewhere in between you know it and uh the human centipede how about that oh god <laughs> <laughs> so My i like god. i like that this is an aperitif it's an for aperitif. halloween this is good well, there you go. That says it all. And, and in that way, it does hold up as, as, a, as a palate cleanser. Let's say that. Yeah. Well, well said, Christy. So, so since today is Halloween, go yeah. ahead and get your aperitif of the Monster Squad. Nice. Well, I'd like to thank you for joining us for this Halloween edition of the Grady's The Great 80s Movie Debate. Check out all of our other great podcasts at neozaz.com, including... One that's a lot like this, and it is called Dial-Up Movies, and it is a 90s movie podcast, and it's hosted by our very special guest, Sweet Lou. Lou? Uh, when, I, when I get to record, <laughs> it's been a couple months since we've, uh, since we've released an episode, but that's all right. Shh. Sh- 
there's there's plenty of back episodes to listen to from you know, things like The Matrix and Hackers. What are some? What are your favorite dial-up movies episodes that you've done? True Lies, a bunch in there. True Lies was good. One of my favorites was a Halloween episode from a couple years ago. We did Ernest Scared Stupid. I read an <laughs> article that said that was the best Halloween movie. I loved it. Spoiler alert for the episode. And my co-host Tim absolutely loathed it. So if you want to hear some nice back and forth, that's a good episode to check out. <laughs> I like this. So if you're, if you're in the Halloween mood and we've wet your whistle here, go to neozes.com. Search up dial-up movies hosted and created by this gentleman, Sweet Lou. Uh, listen to Ernest Scared Stupid and then go through their back catalog and listen to all the other great things. And I'm sure those guys will be recording new things as well. There's a bunch of other great Halloween content at neozes.com. Uh, Halloween editions of all of our other shows, including uh, one that our co-founder, Matt, is really worked worked on for years uh, a tribute to world of the worlds so if you're if you're into listening to radio dramas or, or any kind of halloween content go to neozaz.com there's a lot there to listen to we also are on social media as well we are at uh at 931 we're at what? 931 likes and on facebook 931 on facebook christy really wants to get to a thousand this is like her goal in life. So, well, the goal short term, yes. For the end of the year, I'd like to get to a thousand likes. Just say it's your goal. Maybe people will do it. You don't have to hedge your bets. It is my goal in life, Dave. There you go. So, yeah, go on. We, we put not only episodes, but little, you know, stupid things that Christy and I think of, or, or, or you know, just, just, it's just a, a, a good time. So, go ahead and like that. Send it to your friends, anybody that you know that's a child of the 80s or all the stuff that we say at the beginning because uh, we have that content and you, it's easier to find our upcoming episodes if you're on there as well. We're also on Twitter where we put goofy stuff on as well. So please follow us on social media and uh, Neozaz is also on Instagram as well. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Happy Halloween. Cut it